Raj. We turned out okay. The Modern Parent's Guide to Old School Parenting. I want to hang upside down from the swing set. Welcome to We Turned Out Okay with host Karen Locke Cole. I want to climb to the top of that tree. And now, here's your host, Karen Locke Cole. Hey, welcome to episode 59, a Just You and Me episode, which is, as the name implies, just you and me hanging out together. March is all about food. So happy March, by the way. It's March the 1st, as if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. And March is going to, I think, if things go as planned, March will have a slightly different format than, <clears throat> than most months. So most months, what we do is we alternate on Tuesdays between just you and me's, like today, and guest episodes. And then the same week as a guest episode, we do a Your Child Explained episode on those Thursdays. And oftentimes what we do in Your Child Explained is we look back, we kind of take an aspect of my conversation with the guest from Tuesday, and we talk about that a little bit more. But we're always doing it on in Your Child Explained episodes from the perspective of your child. So in other words, how how does your child view what the guest and I were talking about. So when when I had uh, Jessica Leahy on a few episodes ago, I believe that was in the early 50s. It was about kids and failure, how failure is kind of good for not just kids, but for everybody, really. Jessica Leahy is a New York Times bestselling author of one of my favorite books, really influential book for me called The Gift of Failure. And it was really just out last summer in 2015, summer 2015. So it's very new, but it's helping me figure out something like So I've made some practical changes from from Jess Leahy's book in my family. And I know that you will too. And our interview is great because we really get to talk in depth about some of the some of the things that go on in, in her family and some of the things that come up for her as a teacher and and how she came to this idea that we need as humans to fail. And anyway, so what we did was I talked to Jessica in the Tuesday guest episode. And then on Thursday, I kind of took the idea of what does it look like? What do challenges look like from inside our kids heads? Because they don't always look the way that you think that they're going to look. Really, you know, kids are very developmentally different from adults, and sometimes it's so easy to forget that, isn't it? So anyway, that's how a usual month goes. We alternate just you and me, guest, your child explained, and March is going to be where we have a just you and me today at the beginning. The last Tuesday in March will also be a just you and me. In fact, it's going to be part two of today's episode. But in the interim, because March is all about food, I happen to be able to line up three fantastic guests. I've had conversations with two of them. And the third interview that I'll have, the third conversation is actually, I'm recording it tomorrow, uh, just we're here at the end of February. And so I can't guarantee, I mean, if something, you know, if there's a blizzard or something and that conversation can't happen, then we will go right back to uh, to a regular format. But hopefully, if all goes well, I'll be able to bring you three fantastic interviews. And as a result, a bonus Your Child Explained episode. So that's the plan. We'll, we will hope that it, uh, you know, that that's what actually ends up happening. And 
we're so that means that we'll bookend the month with part one of how to get your kids to eat today on the first of the month and part two of how to get your kids to eat on the last Tuesday of the month and getting our kids to eat that is a that's the trick isn't it I don't know about you but when especially when they were younger Max and Jay when they were maybe you know anywhere from birth on up to five six I had a really hard time I really struggled with worrying about them not eating enough or eating too much I really alternated between those and were they eating the right things, which actually I did not worry about until Max was probably about three. And this whole, this whole story starts because my oldest Max was a picky eater and in some ways he still is, but God, he's such an adventurous eater as well. Uh, He's learned how to make sushi and he loves sushi. My goodness. Um, you know, things I won't eat necessarily, he will dive right into. And But anyway, when he was young, he was a totally picky eater. Totally, like wouldn't eat anything that wasn't uh, Cheerios and yogurt. Pretty much that was his like food. Uh, rice cakes, things, he really liked crunchy things starting from when he, from his first foods, like he totally rejected rice cereal and those kinds of feelings. He didn't, he never really liked those textures in his mouth, but Um, I mean, he pretty much ate, he subsisted on, gosh, what were our four food groups? Cheez-Its, macaroni and cheese, actual cheese, like American cheese or provolone cheese sitting at the table. And maybe the occasional banana was the fourth food group. I mean, it was crazy balls. And our food practices made him that way. I mean, like he didn't come from nothing. You know, he, he, he really learned what we lived at the time. And when he turned three, I took him to the pediatrician, my adorably chubby little Maxwell. I'll try to find a picture actually to post of him when he was that age. He was so darn cute. (laughs) And the pediatrician looked, took one look at him and looked at me and and then she said, okay, what is Max eating every day? And what is his exercise like every day? And I just remember being floored by those questions. Because as I said, he was eating the four food groups of cheese, Cheez-Its, macaroni and cheese, and the occasional banana. And his exercise was absolutely nil. But really, that's because he wasn't inclined towards exercise. He was not one of those kids who just needed to run every moment of the day. Not like uh, a certain second son that <laughs> that is like that in this home anyway. Still is. You'll probably hear him today because he's awake as I'm recording, which is kind of unusual. So, so what is he eating and what is his exercise like every day? And and I I came up so short with the answers to those questions. And I realized the thing that the thing that made me feel mad and sad about this is because I had to take the responsibility on myself. I'm the one who's feeding him, right? And I had before I was a mom, had an incredibly varied and delicious diet. I was raised in a home where we ate, we were at the very least exposed to different foods. I mean, you know, the 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 food wasn't shoved down our throats, but my parents ate egg salad and they ate salmon, you know, barbecued on the grill and they ate, we ate barbecued chicken or roast chicken or a variety of soups. I mean, we just ate, we ate really well. And By that, I mean a lot of variety, a lot of healthy foods, a lot of home prepared things. And um, 
when I went off to grad school, I lived in a house for two years that we each took a turn cooking dinner every week. So there were five of us. Each of us had one night of the week to cook dinner. And it was awesome because what happened was I was kind of forced into taking other people's interests in consideration. They they already ate really, really well. Pardon me. <clears throat> they already ate super well when I arrived in this house. You know, there was this huge garden in back that one of the one of the housemates, he worked part time so that he could spend the rest of the time basically in his garden. So lots of readily available fruits and vegetables right outside the back door. And, and I learned how to cook awesome things. You know, some things were different from what I'd cooked at home. But I definitely brought in an Italian flair and, and um, I loved what everybody else cooked. And, you know, they loved what I cooked as well. And the bonus was on the night that you cooked, you didn't have to clean up. So you could use as many dishes as you felt like you needed to, and did not have to worry about the cleanup. And of course, the other four people cleaned it up in like no time. So uh, that was those were really fun times. And, and I had all that experience of, of eating good food, preparing good food. And I think what happened was when when Max was born, first of all, I had a year's worth of postpartum depression in which I just worried about everything. It was undiagnosed postpartum depression. And so I was not when he started eating food. And I know that sounds I hope it doesn't sound like an excuse. I don't mean it to. I just felt very helpless. I felt that like I couldn't in the first three years of his life, I failed epically at getting him good food because I really felt like, oh, it's too much for me to handle. I can't, I can't get a meal plan together and be the mom of this toddler. And for the year that he was one, go out and, and be a, you know, have a job basically. And so the years that he was really being for exposed to first foods, I, I, I basically shopped out his, I came to depend on like what's in supermarkets for his meals and as, and for mine too. I mean, it's no surprise that by the time he was, I didn't lose a lot of baby weight, I guess, put it that way. <laughs> so at the same time that he that his pediatrician said to me, you know, just after he turned three, what is he eating and what's his exercise like? I realized that my eating and exercise was terrible too. And and so is my husband's, at least the the eating aspects of, of Ben's diet, because, because as a family system, we were eating terribly. We were totally relying on, on sugar and fat filled stuff from the grocery store. I mean, imagine eating, we probably ate macaroni and cheese from a box like five times a week or, or, four to five times a week. It was crazy. It was so crazy. And no wonder we were feeling lethargic and, and no wonder, you know, our Maxwell was, was having the kinds of problems that he was having in his exercise. I won't get into that too, too much today, but suffice it to say that the year that he was one, I was like, Oh, goody. I, you know, he, now he's, he's able to understand Sesame street. So I will plunk him in front of the TV every day for Sesame Street at one year old. I mean, I'm really ashamed to, to talk about this. The only, I guess, the only thing I would say is that we started right away in the habit of enjoying those kinds of shows with him. So like, it wasn't like I went off and, I, you know, I don't know. It wasn't like I went off and, and had my nails done while Max was watching TV. I just, I, w- I watched it with him. We just did not get a lot of, we're the kind of, 
the three of us, Ben, Max, and I are the kind of people I think who could happily sit ensconced in a book or in front of the fire drinking tea like all day, every day. And so it was a real blessing when, when just after Max turned, or actually 10 days before Max turned four, Jason came into our lives because he was a completely different uh, can of worms. He, he, he requires lots of exercise every day. And by then we'd sort of figured out what, what food looked like in our house, if it was going to be different from what it had been a year previous on Max's third pediatric visit. I really worked to change our daily habits. You know, Dr. Davies sent us home with like a little, just a little, uh, I call it an infographic. I guess it probably was an infographic, you know, from the early 2000s. And it, it really helped. Like I, I taped it up in the kitchen and I would think about what's the variety of foods that we can start to get into Max's life. And we discovered that crunchy things were always really good for him. He really, so we, we maybe we would shift from rice cakes or crackers or something like that to, you know, sugar snap peas or green beans, raw green beans, stuff that, that still is crunchy, but just has a completely different, different nutrient profile. Two seconds. Sorry about this. <clears throat> I don't know why, but this morning I've got, I've got a lot of coughing going on. It's that pre-breakfast kind of thing, I guess. I don't really know. Anyway, I work to change daily habits. And one thing that, one big change I made first was I noticed that he would eat a bowl of cereal in the morning. Again, loved his crunchy stuff. But he'd be hungry like an hour later. So it was usually Cheerios or maybe like knockoff off-brand kind of store-bought, store-brand Cheerios. Um, so not too much sugar. I guess that was one really good thing. We didn't we didn't start early on an addiction to sugar. I think parents today, like Max is now 15. So parents today, when you go into the grocery store and you look at the things that you're that are supposedly really good for your kid, they're full of sugar. They'll say on the packaging, like, there's no fat in here or whatever. But what the way that they try to still make it taste good if they take away all the fat is they throw in a bunch of sugar and salt. So there's like this triumvirate of ingredients, sugar, salt, and fat. In fact, I think there might be a book by that exact name, Salt, Sugar, Fat, which which kind of gets into this. And it, anyway, so it, if a food manufacturer is going to try to make something taste good and the societal pressure tells them take out the fat they're not going to they're they're still they still need people to buy this product they still need it to be tasty and what's happening is they're adding more and more and more sugar as they're taking away fat so, so put it this way something like green beans was going to be a lot better than something like cookies or crackers for a kid who likes crunchy stuff but uh, you know, back to the cereal. So I really noticed that he would be hungry almost immediately after eating cereal. So I started to feel like what's in here? I mean, it's totally, it's like mostly empty calories. Even though, again, the boxes are always like, this is so good. Parents feed this to your kids. It's so good for them. But, and and maybe it's not the worst thing in the world, but there are better things. And one of the ways that we discovered be- meant better was that Max wouldn't be hungry again in an hour. So he also had, Max had an egg allergy when he was a kid. So that meant that we needed to be really careful about what we put in his body because he would get, he could potentially have an anaphylactic reaction to eggs. So carried an EpiPen, all that kind of stuff. He did thankfully grow out of that. But at this point when he was not eating well, 
and he was hungry after an hour. We, he still had the, we were right in the middle of this egg allergy. So I started looking around for like, what else could he eat if he's not going to eat? If cereal isn't keeping him full, what else could he eat? And I actually came up with, I, I sort of started waking up and remembering, you know what? Like I used to cook. <laughs> I used to, I used to bake. I used to have fun in the kitchen. And I went for immediately a recipe that actually a friend of mine had made while I was in grad school while we were roommates. And it was, it was this recipe for maple oat muffins. And I'll never forget, I get the recipe and it was delicious. But the reason it was delicious was because it had all kinds of what fat, sugar and salt in it, right? It included like there was a streusel topping that, um, again, delicious, but not something you could have on a daily basis. So what I did was I, I, I tinkered with that particular recipe, I eliminated the streusel topping, I cut back on some of the oil that went into it. I, I think I took out quite a bit of sugar. I think I left in the maple part, like it involves for every dozen muffins, I think there's like a half a cup of maple syrup. And we are, call us food snobs if you if you must, but we like invest in maple syrup. We don't use that much of it, to be honest, anymore. But when we have maple syrup, we, we have real maple syrup. Like it's, there's not any kind of fake stuff going on. I did try to make like fake sort of maple syrup-like stuff because of this wonderful book called The Tightwad Gazette that I will get into in just a minute. But we discovered that that the kind of like fake maple syrup products do not work for us at all. So we we started um just to, as just thinking about maple syrup. I mean, basically we started like we every March because March is when maple sugaring is happening here in the Northeast. And we would go to like a sugar shack. We would take the kids and we would always you know there's always like a little free tour of you get to see the big gigantic fires and all the tubes that, that the maple syrup comes in or the buckets or whatever. And um, we would always buy like two gallons of maple syrup. So in other words, we would we would spend, it's probably like a hundred bucks. So we'd spend a hundred dollars on maple syrup and it would last us until the following March. And now, I mean, I would be surprised if we go through a half, ga- uh, uh, one gallon of maple syrup in a year. And if, I feel like we we when we really investigated like if you buy maple syrup if you say to yourselves okay we only want real maple syrup you're still you're paying 14 15 dollars a quart and if you pay 50 dollars a gallon you're either paying the same or less than if you were to buy it over the course of the year at you know in a in a in a regular store so plus we felt like we are here we are buying from like a, a supplier we're seeing this person family oftentimes it's families making this this kind of delicious stuff and then there's a place up in new hampshire in mason new hampshire i don't remember the name of the sugar family you know like the sugaring family but it's in mason new hampshire it's this huge operation and they have a restaurant and like everything they have is covered in maple syrup it's so darn good oh man um it's coming on march can you tell i'm all excited about maple syrup so uh, i'm getting into this i i really i feel like i want to get into this maple syrup thing because I want you to see how my mindset changed, like how I went from a mom who literally served macaroni and cheese four nights a week for the entire first three years of her son's life and how I started to think a little bit differently. And so these muffins, 
I started tinkering with the muffins. I, I pulled out some of the maple sugar, maple syrup. I, I pulled out some of the sugar. I pulled out some of the fat. I got rid of the streusel topping. Uh, I made sure that like we started using a little bit of whole wheat flour and it already comes with oats. So you're, you're already getting a little bit of a whole grain in there. Anyway, stuff that would keep Max full longer. And I, I made sure to, to keep them tasting good. Like I, in other words, I didn't eliminate all the yummy stuff. And I reasoned that if he's getting, he's probably getting less sugar than he was getting in the cereal anyway, but he, he'll eat two muffins and he won't ask for food again until lunchtime, which that was really important to me because I felt like we get into this cycle where we couldn't leave the house without Cheerios or goldfish crackers or something like that. And that's really great for the goldfish cracker company, but I did not like it. I felt like I don't want to, I don't want to always have to be thinking about what's he going to eat in the next half hour. I wanted to be able to go out to the park or something like that without always bringing a snack. And these muffins made that more, more than possible. They made it really happen. So I loved it. Plus, we all loved the taste of these muffins. I mean, they were so, so yummy. And I, so from that, I started to realize, you know what? I can do this. I, I can make stuff <laughs> in the kitchen that my child will eat. And then I started figuring out, trying to figure out like, okay, if I'm going to do that, what's the next step? Like, I, I can only do one small thing at a time. Even then I knew that I would get overwhelmed. Now I have a chronic illness. I have a thing called tendinosis, which creates, if I get stressed out and I start overusing muscles, which totally tends to happen when you're, when you're stressed out, the tendons in the corresponding muscles get inflamed. They become incredibly painful and they, they can, in me, they, they very easily scar. That's what tendinosis is. And so I really have to do things in small, small steps. And be really patient. I mean, that's that's kind of a big part of it. But even then, I even though I didn't have t- tendinosis then, I still had to think, I had to take small steps. And one of the best ways that that, that happened for me was I got a book called The Tight Wad Gazette. So I feel like Jay had either was just about, I think Jay was just about to be born. So it was this year of real change for us when Max was, the year that Max was three, I started making these muffins. I started trying to think like, what else can I do? And this book, the Tightwad Gazette kind of fell into my lap. And it's such a great resource. If you're trying to save money, I mean, it's called the Tightwad Gazette. It's basically this woman, the, the author is this woman named Amy Decision, who lives up in Maine. She had six kids, her husband, you know, worked full time job. And she started, she she and her husband really got, I, I think you could almost call it obsessed with saving money because they, because not just to accumulate a massive pile, but because they had some goals that they really wanted. One was, one thing was they wanted her to be able to stay home with the kids. They wanted to have a lot of kids and they did end up with six children. Um, and they wanted a really nice house. And by that, I do not mean a house where everything is perfect and all the decorating matches. They wanted a house with a lot of land that was a big kind of one of those old places that you could get totally lost in and with secret passageways and stuff like that. And and they realized that the only way that they could do that on a, a Navy man's salary was to become really good at saving money and making things last kind of a thing. And and the 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 reason for the Tightwad Gazette was she started this newsletter called the Tightwad Gazette. And she wanted to kind of show that this can be fun. It doesn't have to be like this horrible grind that everybody thinks it, it might be. And 
so she started the newsletter to try and and share tips with other people and to go do these it, well she does these wonderful in-depth articles with about like how much electricity does your oven use in a year or something like that um how much can you save by shopping at thrift shops and what's a good system for for when you have one kid outgrowing clothes to make sure that you have those around and they're properly organized if you have six kids for the next you know the next child to to come up and need those clothes and i just i loved i always loved like her sense of humor but also this idea of this can be fun it doesn't you know conserving money and and being creative in this way doesn't have to be a grind it can be a blast and so this book fell into my hands at just the right time and i started to realize and she's got a lot about food in there a lot of like recipes that that will save you money in fact we still eat the granola that I I've, I started making variations on the granola that Amy Decision published in the Tightwad Gazette. And Ben and I still eat that. And sometimes, not Max never loved the granola, but Jay uh, sometimes will eat it. And, and, and it's just so darn good. You know that there's granola waiting for you every morning. And, and, and it's yummy. And it doesn't, it's, it's low fat, it's low sugar. It doesn't have, it definitely has some substance to it. It keeps me full from when I eat it in the morning until lunchtime. But it's not expensive to make and it's not bad for you. And that's kind of that. So the Tightwad Gazette really shaped my food kind of ideas. And as I say, it came along just at the right time. And I started to become, like in my family anyway, I started to become known for for recipes. When those muffins were baking, everybody was like, yay, you know, and and Ben and I would eat the granola and we'd be just so happy together. Like, God, it just felt so good to have this. I mean, it sounds like such a silly thing. It's granola, right? But it it meant a lot at the time. I mean, as you as you know, if you have young kids, there isn't a lot to bond over when either you're both out working full-time jobs and then you're trying to figure out you know, how to how to feed everybody and how to get the house clean and how to get kids where they need to be and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but even if one of you is a stay at home parent, it's, you're living completely different lives. I mean, if you can bond over anything, if it's granola, if you, if you can on a Saturday morning, look at each other and go, we're eating the same food and we made it, you know, that's a good thing. It's, it's, it's unusual, I think, to, to really have something like that. And every couple needs that. So, um, so the Taiwan Gazette helped in many, many ways. And and one of the main ones was it helped me realize that like I can, it helped me remember that I can make stuff and I can make good stuff. And we, we're not beholden to the grocery store and the, the things available there. We can make healthier stuff, better tasting stuff, and we can make it less expensively. And so I became, I think you could probably call it obsessed. <laughs> I think maybe in a good way, I hope in a good way, we are all a lot healthier as a result. Uh, I lost starting from when Max was small, you know, when he was, I guess, probably in the three-ish range. I lost like 45 pounds. I All this baby weight that I had kept, I lost. And I sort of, I did it very gradually. I mean, probably I finished up losing that 45 pounds when Jay was maybe... So now, you know, Jay is born when Max is four, and I think Jay was probably two maybe by the time I really had lost. I just did a slow and steady, let's change our eating habits kind of a thing. 
And we all benefited from from that. And then um, I, I realized that I had something valuable to share. Like I had taken this incredibly picky eater and I had turned him into a kid who who is much more adventurous. And so when he was probably six, six or seven, I started writing a column for uh, this wonderful little, it's now defunct, but it was such a great little paper called Parents and Kids magazine and it was a Massachusetts statewide thing uh, and I w- I became the food and family columnist for parents and kids online and I did occasionally have recipes in the actual hard copy food and fa- uh, parents and kids and I one of the very first recipes I shared was for those muffins uh, and then I started kind of sharing other things that we've done you know other recipes that we've either I either created whole you know, by myself or adapted and like what it's like to eat, to raise picky eaters and, or to raise at least one picky eater and how to change that for him and just all this kind of stuff. And I loved writing that column so much. In fact, you know, who was my editor? It was the great Heather Kemsky from, you met uh, on this podcast, you met Heather Kemsky twice over the summer. She and her family took a road trip this year. They'd never been in an RV before. And, and she, she wrote uh, a great little blog for the newspaper that she, she worked for at the time. The newspaper is still there, but she has moved on. Uh, it's called Bay State Parent. And so Heather and I um, kind of kept in touch over, over the years between now and when she was the editor of Parents and Kids. And uh, I think I now Ben is going to kill me because I don't have a list yet of episodes. But Heather Kemsky, I'm going to link to her episodes in the show notes for this episode. So you can find those by going to weturnedoutokay.com slash 059. And you can listen to her. She's just such a fantastic, fun, fun, fun person. And uh, the other thing that I will make sure to post there is the recipe for these muffins, because if you want to make them, and they are awesome, I promise you, you can go to weturnedoutokay.com slash 059 for that. So that's, that's how I got my picky eater to eat when he was small. And it was really, I think it was a combination of just really making tiny, tiny changes, realizing that something needed to change, and then making tiny changes one at a time. And feeling supported by thing books like the Tightwad Gazette and just watching positive change happen over time. Those are the kinds of things that work for me. Part two of how to get your kids to eat. This was part one. Part two is going to be really we're going to get more into the mindset of how to get your kids to eat. So you can stay tuned for that. That will be the last Tuesday in March. I don't have the episode number yet, but um I think it's going to be 65, 66, something like that. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see when we get there. And I want to shift gears a little bit. So I'm kind of setting aside food for a little while. Uh, I want to share about so, about a book that I'm writing for you guys. I'm in the process of writing it now. Uh, it's off to my editor for revisions. My editor, by the way, is my mom, which is kind of a story in itself. That's a really exciting little thing. My mom is my editor in exchange for I'm helping her publish, self-publish her, this will be her third published book. She had two published books back in the 90s and she's written some other fantastic stuff and she's been kind of shopping it around to agents and and just not getting 
it's not getting the attention that it deserves. So, so my mom and I are launching books and, and right now the target date for launch is April the 3rd. Uh, I'll let you know if that changes, but hopefully that it'll, it'll stay right on track there. So my mom is going to edit the book. In fact, it's in her hands right now. So she's looking at my first revision. So I've now written the rough draft. I revised it once. It's off to her. And she's going to make it a million times better than it already is. It's called Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics, Key Tools to Help You. Let me see. I can't remember the exact subtitle. (laughs) We're sort of, we've been, the way that this process has been working is we've been kind of settling on a subtitle rather than... Like I'm still in the process of thinking about that. So it's key tools to handle every tantrum, keep your cool and really enjoy life with your young child. And the 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 t- that's the subtitle. The title is Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics, taken right from one of the most popular series of episodes that that we turned out okay has ever produced. Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics was the name of those episodes. And I wanted to share because I have come up with a a list of FAQs, frequently asked questions about positive discipline ninja tactics. You can get the whole list by going to we turned out okay. No, sorry, not we turned out okay. Positive discipline ninja tactics.com and you can sign up to know when the book is coming out because it will be free for its first three days in Amazon. So in other words, when it launches, you want to know right away because you can grab it for free in Amazon. And uh, when you sign up for it, you'll get you'll get my fridge-worthy anti-tantrum infographic about how to handle every tantrum. That will come to you immediately when you sign up. And the other thing that you'll get over the next few days is the FAQs, the Frequently Asked Questions about Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics. And reader, or I guess listener and, and future reader of the book, Sabrina, asked this question. So she, in other words, she got my list of frequently asked questions and she wrote me back with a question, which I just thought this question has to go into the FAQs. It's such a good one. And Sabrina's question is, my daughters are six and eight. My six-year-old in particular still screams when she doesn't get her way, though she wasn't like this as a toddler. So Sabrina, can I just say how lucky you were that she wasn't like that as a toddler? (laughs) She kind of front-loaded all the good behavior, it sounds like. And now now she's getting into uh, the more the the honeymoon is over, I guess, right? Can we say that? Uh, and so Sabrina's wondering, will the book tips apply to kids older than five? And here's what I wrote to Sabrina. I said that they absolutely would apply to kids older than five. In fact, not only just kids, you know, eight and under, the positive, the positive discipline ninja tactics that I share in my book for you work for my tween they work for my teen and oftentimes they work for me or my husband because really it's all about so much of life is about kind of getting our emotional figuring out our emotions and and working through them and so there's all kinds of hacks to help kids do that to help our young children do that but they totally apply <laughs> they apply to like everybody on the whole age spectrum and so that's the answer that I that I gave. And I, when I put it in the FAQs, it'll, of course, be a lot more succinct. But uh, anyway, Sabrina, I want to thank you so much for asking that question. So yes, the answer is yes, yes, yes. The books will apply to anybody of any age, but especially kids, our kids, because these hacks are going to make it so that you 
have a more enjoyable time with your kids because you're going to spend less time kind of yelling or nagging or losing patience or feeling like you just can't take another deep breath without exploding. Those are those are some of the things that Positive Discipline Ninja Tactics is meant to help you with. So grab the book or get on the list to grab the book when it comes out for free in Amazon by going to PositiveDiscipleNinjaTactics.com. And that is that's today's show. I think I've answered I've answered the questions. I've talked about the food. I think we're good. So get in touch with me if you have something to share by going to weturnedoutokay.com slash contact. You can find me on Twitter at Stone Age Techie or on Instagram at weturnedoutokay. And if you make that recipe, I really want to know how it turns out. So let me know. I hope your gang, you and your gang likes, likes it. Today's word of mouth is, as you know, social media. And I'm really asking you to do what you've already been doing, which is to share in social media, because that's how people will find out about this show. So if you feel like this was a helpful show for you, and you think that others would get a lot out of it or get something out of it, please, please share in whatever your favorite social media channels are. And so I want to say thank you so much for that. But also thank you so much for listening. It means so much to me that you have me in your ears right now. And a special thanks finally to our producer, the man who is super happy that I can be back in the kitchen fairly often now, the 18-time winner of the Husband of the Year Award, Benjamin Culp. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to We Turned Out Okay. I want a date to Australia. Find us on the web at weturnedoutok.com, where you'll find show notes and more. What do you call cheese that's not yours? Nacho cheese. And remember, we only go around once. To be the best parents we can be, let's relax and enjoy the ride. I want to pee in the woods. Theater, 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 theater,